This is a special video today. We're talking about domestic violence abuse. And with me is Dawn Callahan. Dawn is on the board of a nonprofit group fighting against domestic violence abuse. And I'm going to let Dawn Callahan tell us more about herself. Thank Dawn. you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This is a topic that's very, very dear to my heart. Um, I am on the board of an organization called APTA. It's an organization to support survivors and their family members having to do with domestic violence. We believe in a nonviolent, non-abusive, mutually respectful, um, growth-promoting relationship. So much of what you talk about on your show, so I'm really excited to have a conversation with you. That's wonderful. I'm curious, Dawn, why you were willing to come on and talk about this, because many people are really afraid to talk about it, and I understand that's what keeps it going. You know, it's really interesting that you, um, that you asked me that, because I've really never talked about it and it, it still gives me a little bit of anxiety even really thinking about the idea of sharing the story but thank you no no thank you for the for the opportunity because it's really not about me it's really about the opportunity to support other um, survivors people who are in a situation where they like me didn't know that they were in a domestic violence situation and so I really just felt like if I shared my story and invited um any of your followers to, you know, take a peek, then maybe mm -hmm. they could hopefully find some supporting guidance. You know, Dawn, sometimes when I'm talking to clients, I'm a bit taken aback because my clients have this understanding that domestic violence is a socioeconomic or a racial or cultural issue. It's funny that you should say that because one in four women actually experience domestic violence in their lifetime. I mean, the reality is that one in four means it's your sister, it's your coworker, it's your friend. That's just not talking about it. Um, it's your colleague. And the reality is that it's not a mold. It's not a, a, a picture of what a domestic violence victim looks like. It's, it can be any one of us. And that was kind of my situation that even when I talk about it now, people have this you know sense of shock on their face when I talk and I tell my story. Um, but the reality is that I kind of just fell into it just like most victims do. I was you know dating a friend and it's a friend. So you, 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 you love your friend. So it's, I think that people have the perception that you go on a date with someone and then the abuse starts and it's never like that. I mean, you, you fall into a cycle of trust and then from there, it sort of kind of spirals and you look up and you're like, okay, I don't really know how I got here, um, but this wasn't the plan. I'm wondering if you can just kind of tell us how long were you in it? How, how what, what was going on? Mm -hmm. We were never really officially in a relationship. We hung out like the young kids, I guess, say nowadays um, for about seven or eight years. Um, and then it just got to a point where I realized that this is not the way I want to live my life. Um, I remember like it was yesterday, we were out, got into an argument when we were out at a fast food restaurant and he um, was insistent about going back to the car and he just berated me in the car. And I remember being very upset, I was crying. And um, I looked up and there were two men looking in the car as they, they parked their car next to our car and they were looking in and they, the look on their face, they were so disturbed by what they were seeing and I, and it was sort of kind of like an out of body experience. I realized they're looking at me like that. And so what are they seeing that I'm not acknowledging? When, when these episodes would happen with mm -hmm. him, how did you, how did you put it in a denial yeah. center of your brain or in that file? 
because I hear a lot of times um, victims will tell me, you know, I filed it yeah. away. Yeah. It was compartmentalized. Yeah. And I'm wondering how something that is so painful, mm -hmm. it's even possible to put it in there. Yeah, you know, what's really interesting is that I've talked to other survivors and the physical pain doesn't, it, there's no comparison to the mental pain. Empathy that you have for them which is again why at one point I had to sort of kind of stop and reevaluate myself because he was not the only person that I had been in a relationship with who was, you know, an abuser. And so I realized I was the common denominator and why was I being more empathetic to their needs than my own? So, I mean, I would get angry, um, but at the end of the day, I was really thinking like, well, you know, he had a really hard life and, you know, he's really frustrated at work. And so I was empathizing with their needs more than, um, the concern of you know my own well-being and safety so in another video the top that I did the topic was trauma bonding mm. with your abuser mm -hmm. and what happens a lot of times is the victims will start putting as a way of dealing with it mm -hmm. so that they get feeling better about the situation yeah. maybe like they have a little control yeah they'll start saying oh he needs my help. Oh, yeah. So, see, then they can get out of their own pain mm -hmm. and they can focus on yeah. helping him helping him understand it's the way he was raised yeah. or that he was cheated on before mm -hmm. and that's why he's hurting you mm -hmm. now. He, You know, his heart was broken by his parents' split. And that's what you were just relaying, that mm -hmm. for you, that was kind of a coping mechanism. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Dawn, I was curious because many times uh, domestic violence has like three components. Mm -hmm. It has emotional, physical, and sexual. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if though any one of those or a couple of those components were dominant in mm -hmm. your story. Well, it's really interesting. I think that whereas there was definitely physical altercations, the mental piece just completely, um, it actually helped hide the physical altercation because it, you're, you're sort of kind of, um, you're almost brainwashed into thinking that this is a normal situation. So I remember one time in particular, um, we had an altercation and, um, and he pushed me on concrete stairs and my ankle swelled up really bad so much that we had to go to the emergency room. And I remember um, I'm in the emergency room and I'm, um, I had to hop to one of the stalls because my, I couldn't walk. And I'm in a stall and you know, they have the, the posters, the domestic violence posters, right? And you know, I'm just sitting there and I look and I'm like, huh, domestic violence, that's interesting. And it's, it's the picture of the girl with the black eye because that's normally the picture that we have in our head of domestic violence. And I looked at it and I was like, oh, that's not me. And then I have like this aha moment. I was like, oh, wait, that's that's me. Like, that's me. It's just not my eye. Like, it's my ankle this time or it was my head the last time or it was my leg the last time. But I'm the same. I'm that person. And it was it was really crazy because it wasn't until that moment that I actually realized that, huh, I think I may be in a domestic violence situation. How many times had he physically abused you? I can't remember the exact number. They were sporadic times. I would say throughout the entire time that we were together, it was less than 10, more than five. Um, and yeah, it never even dawned on me. Like it wasn't, you know, he was he was cold and he said really mean things and he, you know, made me cry a lot. But again, it wasn't, you know, I wasn't 
calling the police in the middle of the night, right? Or I, I wasn't going to work with a sling, you know? So again, even though now when I talk to people and tell them that I'm a survivor of domestic violence and, and I'm trying to explain to them that, you know, it's not this stereotype of what we think the person is, I carried that same stereotype even as a victim at the time. Where were your support systems, like your mom, your mm -hmm. friends, did they know? Mm -mm. Actually, as a matter of fact, I think a lot of people are going to find some things out when this, <laughs> oh <laughs> when this video, um, because it, again, it was even after I got to a place and the only reason that I'm even, you know, I'm able mm -hmm. to sit here and have this conversation with you is I had to get to a place of forgiveness. How long has recovery taken you? I don't know the answer to that, to be perfectly honest with you. Mm -hmm. um, I know that I'm very timid still about, you know, dating. I don't know if I'll ever get to a place where I just trust my judgment 100% mm -hmm. because there's always going to be that piece in the back that, well, you did have a friend who was, you know, not very nice to you. Is this person going to be, you know, nice to you? So I think I still have some ways to go. Mm -hmm. And it's been 10, 11 years since I've been out of that relationship, but there's still residual effects the that, effects. yeah. What was the exit like? Can you walk us through some of the legal ramifications? Yeah. What you did and what um, AVDA suggests mm -hmm. doing? So I did not have to worry about splitting assets or trying to move out in the middle of the night or any of the very dramatic situations that a lot of survivors have to go through. Again, we did not have children together. Um, there were no financial, you know, anything together. So I was very lucky that I was able to make the decision, but even with that decision, I had to be very cautious because we had built a relationship of me being very fear fearful of him. And when you decide that you're not gonna be afraid of someone anymore, that looks and feels very different in a relationship. And so it really did take two years for me to sort of kind of slowly back up and slowly break away. And when we would break up and get back together and break up and get back together, I was very conscious of we're broken up, and but I would still allow a phone call or a visit, you know. So, so it was, your boundaries were my still boundaries, kind of yeah, soft. I, mm -hmm, yeah, because mm -hmm. it it would get to a point where there were rumors that he was, you know, he would say things that he wanted to do to me because I broke up with him, and he was very angry. And my advice to anyone who's in the situation is be very, very cautious. Was he ever remorseful after? After he did it, yeah. did he have insight? We got to a place after we broke up years later that we had conversations on the phone. We talked to each other. And I remember him, you know, um, implying that we would get back together one day. And I was livid. I mean, I was just livid. And I, I remember hanging up the phone and I called a friend of mine and I said, I can't believe that he thinks that we would ever get back together. And I called him and I said, let me tell you exactly what happened in our relationship. And I think that he didn't realize he was that guy and I didn't realize I was that girl. He was really sad because mm -hmm. he just did not realize that he, because again, he was my friend and I honestly think that he loved me, but he just did not express himself the right way. It was very unhealthy for whatever reasons, mm -hmm. not making excuses for him. Um, but the same with me that I was a common denominator that I was seeking out the type of person that would do those things to me. So mm -hmm. whereas he needs to look and figure out why he was that person, I need to look inside to figure out why I w was the person that allowed it. I tell clients all the time, you cannot love 
an abuser through it. You mm-hmm. cannot fix right. them. They're mentally ill. Yeah. And my guess is with all of his relationships, unless he gets help, yeah. that will be part of a relationship yeah. for him. Absolutely. I'm curious, um, when you look back on your story and as we talk about it today, is there anything you would have done differently mm-hmm. knowing what you know now? There were definitely red flags. Um, there were situations when we were just friends, when he was dating other people, that should have been a clue that this may not be the person for you. Um, but I ignored them because I had a crush on a guy and he was a friend and I was hoping that one day he would see me as more than a friend. So the first time that it happened should have been the out. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I was not in the mental space that I was thinking, one, that I, you know, that I was unsafe and two, that I was a domestic violence, you know, victim. I was just thinking like, my boyfriend really has some issues we got to work through in order for our relationship to work. So, yeah. What are three, three of those red flags that you would alert people Mm. to? Definitely. I realized that I spent less time with family and friends. So he isolated. I was isolated. Um, Another was control, what I wore, um, how I wore what I wore, how I wore my hair, makeup, Mm -hmm. everything. Um, So control. Control and just the way, I mean, you know what it feels like when someone talks to you that makes you feel good inside and I wasn't getting that. And so he, you know, you just look for someone who's nice to you. Like it's Mm -hmm. just, you know, that saying that everything you need to know to be successful in life you learn in kindergarten. Yes just be kind. So, and he was not kind. I mean, he was really not a kind person to me. So was he kind in the beginning? Oh, he was the best. So he lured you in. Yeah. You know, there's the whole cycle of domestic violence Mm -hmm. where you're, you know, you're loved on and, and then it starts like in these small little pieces. And so it's like, they're pushing to see how far they can take you before you break or you leave. And Mm -hmm. so just when you're getting to that place where you're thinking I'm going to break, then the love comes back in and is stronger than it was before. Dawn, thank you so much for sharing with our audience and just your candidness and genuineness. I I know this is really a a topic very close to your heart Mm -hmm. and I really respect you for it and it means a lot to me. I wanted to know what you wanted to leave the audience with, what's most precious for you to pass on to them? You know, what I realized after many years is that everyone just deserves to smile. I mean, that's that's our right. Everyone should have that ability. That's the mm-hmm. most important thing. And it sounds like this whole experience gave you an incredible energy because it sounds like you started your own business. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there's always hope. There's always hope. I mean, so it's, it's like it was a whole different lifetime, to be perfectly honest with you. Mm-hmm. There have been so many changes. I, I left Chicago. I moved to a really great city, um, work for a really great city, have a great support system here. I love um, my life. I like that. And I want to encourage all my followers and viewers that if you're in this situation, please reach out to us and we can you know, offer you some advice and validate where you're at, but mostly remember you are worth it. And there's so much more, no matter where you are in this journey, you can make it. And the better part is after you close the door behind you. Thank you, Dawn. Thank you so much.